Hail Mary, full of grace, kick the devil in the face. Everybody and uh, welcome back to Love Speaks for Monday, October 9th, 2023. Happy second week, full week of October. It's hard to believe uh, the weather here in Washington was super weird this weekend and uh, sounds like in Chicago it was as well. I don't know where you are exactly, but uh, I hope that fall is finally here. Yesterday morning it was so rainy and gross here. Um, I think there's another tropical storm or something brewing somewhere. Um, but then it became sunny. It was so nice out. So I went for a bike ride and uh, sat at at a coffee shop for a long time. And I've been working on, um, a translation of a book in French. The, the, the French title is Le Choix de Dieu, God's Choice. It can, and it's an autobiography, like one of those interview books with Cardinal Lustiger, who I've talked about before, who I really love, love him, um, I just think it's a funny title, Le Choix de Dieu. I'm sure he didn't pick that. The editors probably picked it. God's Choice. It sounds so um, sure of itself, shall we say. Also, this weekend I finished that book I told you about maybe a month ago, or uh, maybe a little longer than that, called Serving the Word. Um, and it's the autobiography of Cardinal Cantala Mesa, who's the preacher of the papal household. So that book is called Serving the Word, My Life. And that was an excellent book. It's not very long. Certainly, it didn't need to take me two months to read it, but um, picked it up and put it down a bunch of times. And I think that if you're looking for something light, but also edifying, also challenging to read, I, I love reading biographies, especially about people who are still working or worked not that long ago. Cardinal Lustiger died uh, in 2005, but... Um, Cardinal Cantalamesa is still very much going. He's the preacher to the papal household. And there's a lot of stuff that he said that I didn't agree with, but um, challenged me a lot and to think, why don't I agree with it? And um, I think there's a lot of stuff that that really is uh, unsatisfying for us or kind of challenging for us. And we say, oh, I don't like that. I don't agree with it. And we're, we're almost conditioned not to. Um, but then when you think about it more and you see where the other person's coming from, you say, ah, actually, maybe I do. Maybe I do agree with where you're coming from. And that, I think, is uh, indication of the role of ideology in, at least in my life, in this case, in the church's life, right? So, oh, well, what he's saying sounds kind of liberal to me. Well, what if he's saying something that's correct and is actually Christian, um, and yes, it may sound uh, what we would say as being liberal or being conservative. We have to be careful with those words because oftentimes if, if we replace uh, the truth, if we replace a living encounter with Christ with just ideology, then actually uh, your faith is already dead. So be careful with that. I, I find myself kind of up against that wall a lot of times as well. One thing that he said in the very last chapter, which was just meant to be more of a reflection of his life and his ministry, um, he, he said very simply, he was asked to reflect on his, his 80 years of life and 55 years of priesthood. This was in 2015. Um, and he says this, I will add only what I must testify to. 
Jesus has filled my life. He has made me happy. And I know that he can do the same for whoever receives him into their lives. Jesus has filled my life. He has made me happy. And I know that he can do the same for whoever receives him into their life. It all comes down to one name, Jesus of Nazareth. The meaning of my whole life is in him. He is the reason for everything I do. It has not always been with the same intensity, but after I left the university to dedicate myself to the preaching ministry, Jesus alive today through his spirit has been my whole life. I think that's beautiful. It's not always been with the same intensity. Uh, It's not always been perfect. It's not always been exactly correct or right, but at least I can say I've had that desire. Wow. I, I, I don't know. I found that very edifying. Jesus has filled my life. He's made me happy. And I know that he can do the same for whoever receives him into their life. That's it. That's that's the uh, that's the show. See you later. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I, I want to go to the readings this week. Um, but I just had a question about them that I, I, I'm not sure if I have it figured out yet. So maybe as I talk, I'll figure it out. That's most of what I do anyway. So the first reading in the gospel are obviously connected. The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 5, writing about the establishment of a vineyard. And all this work is done to create the vineyard. And Isaiah tells this story that after you did everything, right, you spaded it, you cleared it of stones, you planted the best vines, you built the watchtower, you even set up a wine press kind of in anticipation of there being a great crop. And then when the fruit grew, all that grew there was wild grapes. Good for nothing, wild grapes. Why? (laughs) That's the rest of the reading, right? Why did it do that? Why? And what is there to do but to take away its hedge, give it over to grazing, break through its wall, and let it be trampled? It won't be pruned or hoed, but overgrown with thorns. Yikes! And then, of course, the story in the gospel of the vineyard and the tenants that... um, Well, I'll just read it to you. This is from Matthew 21. Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people, Hear another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. Then he leased it to tenants and went on a journey. When vintage time grew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to obtain his produce. But the tenants seized the servants, and one they beat, another they killed, and a third they stoned. Again, he sent other servants, more numerous than the first ones, but they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, thinking, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and acquire his inheritance. They seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. What will the owner of the vineyard do to those tenants when he comes? And they answered him, Well, he will put those wretched men to a wretched death and lease his vineyards to other tenants who will give him the produce at the proper time. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord has this been done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that will produce its fruit. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. 
Through the words of the Holy Gospel, may our sins be wiped away. All right. So we see there that the call is that we should be going out, we should be bearing fruit, right? That the Lord has um, given us this time and this space and everything that we need to be perfectly fruitful. And um, he will demand a, a use of the fruit, right? That the fruit is not called to be ours. He's actually the only source of life and the only means by which we can be fruitful. And so we want to make sure that we are, you know, sowing and reaping in accord with his will, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Amen. All right. But what I really, the question that I have is really pertaining to the second reading. And I think the answer to it is found in the gospel. So we will go back to that. But the second reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians, the last chapter of his letter, Paul, uh, verse, uh, chapter four to the Philippians, verses six through nine. Brothers and sisters, have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a beautiful story, if you've ever seen or listened to the musical Come From Away, which is about the people of Gander in Newfoundland um, who received um, hundreds of people on 9-11 from all over the world when the planes were grounded and the airspace over the United States was closed. And so many people landed at this huge airport in Gander um, in Newfoundland. And um, the people who landed there, of course, were scared. And there's a story that one of the people who were kind of offering hospitality were trying to communicate with um, a, a family that was from Um, a a place that didn't speak any English. They didn't have any knowledge of of what had happened or where they were. But the man from Newfoundland noticed that the father of this family had a Bible out. And so, you know, knowing that Bibles are numbered the same, regardless of what language they're in, um, he opened up to Philippians 4, 6, have no anxiety at all, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And he says that that really opened up a kind of beautiful dialogue between um, the two of them. And I love that story, of course. Um, his translation, in at least in the story as it's told, was not have no anxiety, but it was be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. And that is a tall order. Um, I've written before on my own website. I've spoken about this in homilies and in missions. Um, we've written about it in the newsletter before, about the, just the role that anxiety has played in my own life. And um, certainly it's a huge part of my own story, and it's not a part of my story that I'm ashamed of at all. Um, having anxiety, especially crippling anxiety, is a very humbling thing, but it's a very... Um, sanctifying thing as well. And that's part of what I'm working on now on my little sojourn here in Washington. Um, And I just submit that to you in great humility because it's part of my experience, but it's also part of my um, sanctification. And it's a beautiful part of my ministry as well. And um, I have a lot of questions about it. It's a very complicated experience. It's a very difficult experience sometimes. And I think that some of the trouble that we get ourselves into can come from trying to um, mitigate or medicate rather than actually deal with those kinds of issues that are right in front of our faces, even though sometimes they're veiled, right? Um, And I will just say, you know, 
of course, loving the work that I was doing in the high school, but um, just the kind of cast of characters that were around there, um, I'm not sure it was the, the most fruitful combination, to be honest. That doesn't mean any one of us are bad, um, or that doesn't mean that the mission of, you know, education is bad. It just means that um, a supportive environment um, goes a long way to decrease a lot of the difficulties that we feel inside. And that's just something that's part of the reality of the whole thing. And that's fine. Um, I think it's fine anyway, because uh, both in the seminary when I was working through anxiety and now, um, a lot of it has to do with the environment you're in, uh, the community of people that are around you. But more than anything, um, a lot of it has, a lot of how we see ourselves has to do with the fact that we are, with the way that we are received, especially by the kind of meta. I don't know if that's the right word, but the, the, the major kind of overarching players in our lives. So our families, our closest friends, the church, us, you know, some aspects of society, however you want to call it that. And so it can be difficult for people who have anxiety, real clinical anxiety, um, to read a reading like Philippians and hear scriptures say, have no anxiety at all but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And there's two difficulties with that, right? Um, it sounds like have no anxiety, and once you're done having anxiety, then the God of peace that surpasses all understanding will do his work in you. But as long as you have anxiety, there's always going to be a roadblock there. That's the first thing that's difficult to hear. And the second thing that's difficult to hear, maybe more difficult to hear actually, is to have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Don't be anxious, just pray more. <laughs> Don't be anxious, just pray more. Or pray at all. And maybe if I prayed right, or I offered things in a better way, or I phrased things differently with God, then I wouldn't be so anxious. Or God's not going to listen to me until I'm done being anxious, as if it's something that I chose or something that I'm willingly hanging on to. And those are very difficult things to hear, obviously. So what the heck is going on here? Anxiety. Okay, so, you know, that's a question. That's a word in the scriptures. So where do we go when we have a question about a word in the scriptures? We go to greekbible.com, obviously, and thank God that greekbible.com has expanded beyond just the, the Gospels, and now almost all of the New Testament is available there. Maybe actually all the New Testament's available there. Um, so you go there, greekbible.com, go to Philippians 4, 6, hit go, and what do you find? What do you find? Right there, it's the second word, merimnaho, in Greek. The word for anxiety, or the, what we're translating as anxiety, is defined in the Greek as to be anxious. Okay, thank you. To be troubled with cares, to care for, to look out for, to seek, to promote one's interests, caring or providing for. Okay, um, so to care for, to provide for, so like, is the Bible saying don't care about anything? Like I shouldn't have any cares at all? Well, that seems to be a bit too simple. 
so then, you know, you you want to work your way from Greek to English in the same way that the scriptures worked themselves from Greek to English. So you go from Greek, merimnaio, to Latin, curat, cura est. Curat in Latin means care. <laughs> okay, well, there we go again. Um, care, don't care about anything. Oh, God. Is that is that really what it is? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So then, where do you go? Then you go to entomonline.com and you look at the entomology of different words, right? And here you can see that there's a difference. At least entomonline is giving me a difference between solicitude, a noun, and anxiety, anxious, as an adjective. Um, and they're coming from different root words, obviously. So solicitude uh, is defined as, you know, great care, concern, um, and uneasiness of mind based on the kind of industry or activity or daily concerns of life. Whereas anxiety, anxious, the adjectives, you know, is greatly troubled by these uncertainties. So you have the uncertainties themselves, and then you have the trouble caused by them. Um, the kind of interior anguish, you know, Augustine speaks about that restlessness of heart and, and restlessness is sometimes actually um, better translated there as inquietude, inquietude, interior just disturbance that I will never be fully at peace as long as there's all these other cares. Okay, so again, I mean, I'm still not finding an answer to my question though, because is Paul saying don't care about anything? but rather in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make requests known to God. Is it true that the scriptures are telling me not to care? Because I, as you know, anyone who's listened to this podcast for more than five minutes knows that oftentimes you don't even have to go beyond greekbible.com and you find a really edifying kind of reframing of whatever the question was or whatever the word was, and you don't even really have to go beyond there. And once you go beyond there, maybe from Greek to Latin, then you say, oh, that's much clearer now. Thank you. It's like the eye doctor, right? One or two. Oh, much clearer. Thank you very much. And then you get your answer and you move right along. Or sometimes you just skip the whole thing and you go right to Entom Online and you find out what words really mean and where they come from. And you're like, wow. But this is one of the first times, everybody, where I've gone through the whole sort of all the litmus tests that I, I love to use for words. And I'm still, well feeling anxiety. <laughs> I'm still fear feeling what dictionary.com would call distress or uneasiness of mind, which is, of course, its definition for anxiety. Um, dictionary.com also defines anxiety as an earnest but a tense desire. And the example they give is, he had a keen anxiety to succeed in his work. So what, what, what? Where am I going? What am I doing? Here's what I want to propose to you. What do we learn from the gospel about the vineyard? There was a landowner who planted the vineyard, put a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, built a tower, right? He dug the wine press in it because he was so sure that the ground would be fruitful, just like in Isaiah. Fruitful. <laughs> fertile, just like in Isaiah, right? Then he leases it to tenants. He goes on a journey because he can do that sort of thing. When the time comes, he sends his servants to obtain the produce. And then the tenants seize the servants. One they beat, another they kill, a third they stone. 
Then he sends more servants, more numerous than the first, and they treat them in the same way. Then eventually they kill the son with the hope of getting to the heir. Come, let us kill him and acquire his inheritance. They seize him, throw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. What will the owner of the vineyard do to those tenants when he comes? All right. Here's my thing. What if the scriptures are proposing to us that we truly don't care about anything? And not in the sense that we don't think anything is important, but in the sense that nothing has permission to go down to that level where it can cause us this kind of deep interior angst and disturbance, as dictionary.com says. What if we are living in such a way that we are confident always that a vineyard has been prepared for us? I'm not sure if that makes sense. What if we're living in such a way where we could look at what's happening, even the things that stink, and say, the landowner is building something here. That doesn't mean I love it. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean I'm not asked to give something up or to move something around. But at the same time, what if we could kind of divorce our own worldview, which is I have to establish everything, right? This is the modern individualistic worldview. I am responsible to manufacture my own success, my own dignity, and my own identity. And everything in the world, everyone around me, simply serves as raw material for me um, to complete my projects with. That's a Heidegger thing. That's um, a Charles Taylor thing. They all speak of this, right? that I have to manufacture my own identity and everyone and everything in the world simply serves as a raw material for me to accomplish my project. And what if we change from there, which that causes great anxiety, right? Um, and if I do it wrong, I'm going to be rejected or I'm going to be deplatformed or I'm going to be canceled. Or if people really knew the kind of project I was up to, they would walk away from me. Or if they had known what I was involved in when I was younger, they would go away from me. Um, or if they you know, heard a rumor about me or whatever, then they would go away. Okay, well, what if we switch that from there to, I am part of something bigger, and my identity comes from somewhere outside of myself, and that all this work I'm doing, I'm building hedges, I'm building wine presses, I'm building towers, I'm planting the journey, I'm planting the vineyards, I'm harvesting the grape. What if all of that, which makes us go crazy, what if we said, oh, that's already being done for us, and in the difficulties as well as in the bliss, the landowner is doing something for us. He is creating something for us. And he's saying to us, don't be anxious. Not because it's, it's bad to be anxious. Don't moralize everything. Stop doing that. Not because, oh, anxiety is not good. And I said, don't be anxious. And pa-da, no, I'm not anxious anymore. As if it was that easy. But what if he's saying, trust me. Trust me and dedicate yourself to finding out what I'm up to rather than finding yourself to trying, uh, dedicating yourself to trying to do it all on your own. Dedicate yourself to trying to discover what I'm up to rather than dedicating yourself to trying to do it all by yourself. And that to me is a very plausible way to proceed. It's a very difficult way to proceed, obviously. But uh, I had a therapist once who always used to say, you got to pick your heart. <laughs> pick your heart. It's very difficult to surrender our lives over to, the, to God's will. But guess what? It's also hard to do everything on our own. Pick your heart. 
One of those things is difficult, but it will bear great fruit. And one of those things is difficult and will actually only get more difficult as you go on. And this is why I started the way that I did with that funny prayer, Hail Mary, full of grace, kick the devil in the face. Because you can see with the tenants, when the landowner sends his representatives to go get his own produce, what the way that they react is so interesting. And have you ever found yourself in a time of great anxiety where you do or say something that is just so ridiculous, <laughs> that's just so not you? And maybe it even causes great difficulty and strife um, for your own life or other people's lives. You make a huge mistake maybe, or you're, you're make, you have a lapse of judgment maybe. And... Um, yeah, you have to be, of course, uh, available, so to speak, to the consequences. But in your heart of hearts, you say, that was not me at all. That came from a place because I simply was out of my mind. How is it possible that this guy goes from, I'm going to build this beautiful vineyard and it's going to produce all this great fruit and I'm going to have a wine business now and I'm going to have all this stuff and here's all this work for the people and you know, you know great employment opportunities. How do we go from that to... They kill the son and acquire his inheritance. It's so ridiculous to me uh, that these tenants, they're so far gone from reality because of their greed, because of their anxiety, because of their thinking that they everything depends on them. They're so far gone from the way the world actually is that they think, oh, the guy sends his son and we're going to kill the son and then the father, the landowner, is going to give us his son's inheritance as if the, the guy is going to be like, oh, yeah, you're my sons now. Yeah. No, like what? These people are not thinking clearly. They were never going to get the son's inheritance. Whether they killed him, whether the guy died of natural causes, they were never going to get his inheritance. And yet they kill someone thinking that that reward is theirs. Makes no sense. But that is what sin does. That is what kind of an overemphasis on our own will does. And the greatest definition of sin that I've ever heard is, I want what I want, and I want it right now. And that's where anxiety leads. Having anxiety is not a sin. In some cases, having anxiety is a severe clinical issue that needs to be uh, you know, remedied through medication or through therapeutic counseling or whatever. It's not a sin necessarily, but it can lead us to become out of our minds and therefore commit things or do things or say things or not do things or not say things. And thereby we end up offending God and neighbor. So we have to be very careful and we want to make sure that we're always on our guard um, against this because there is a remedy to that anxiety that we feel. And I don't think the scripture is saying don't care about anything, right? Um, I... <laughs> Uh, once when I lived in Peru and I learned how to say, like, doesn't matter to me. It's it's not it's not a big deal. No me importa. No me importa. Um, and I accidentally used it wrong, shall we say, with my host family. And um, I was trying to say, like, oh, it doesn't matter to me what we do. It was like we were asking about dinner or something where we were going to go for dinner or I don't even know what it was or what do I want them to cook for dinner. But the way that I used it, I used the totally wrong phrase. And I basically said to my host mom who had bent over backwards for me for months, even including when I was very sick, I basically said like, I don't really care. I don't give a crap. I don't care. That's basically what it said. It was supposed to be like, oh, it doesn't matter to me. Don't worry about it. But the way that it came out was 
I don't care, you know. And she was offended by that, as she should have been. So, of course, we're not saying, like, I, I'm not saying get up tomorrow and look your kids in the face and say, I don't care about you. Feed yourselves. I don't care about paying bills. I don't care about mowing the lawn. I don't care about taking a shower or getting a haircut. I'm not saying that. But so many of the things that cause us disquiet, that interior restlessness, are things that are actually part of something that the Father is already working on. And we just have to really get into that place where we can say, I know you're working on this. And for the time being, I realize that I am totally powerless over this. And I'm going to let you bring it to fruition in your own time. And in the meantime, I'm going to pray. I'm going to make my requests known to you, God. But in the meantime, I'm going to receive also the peace that comes from you, which surpasses my understanding. And I lean not on my own understanding. But I, I, you know, I'm open to what it is that you are trying to accomplish in me. And I'm not going to try and undo what you're doing or I'm not going to say out loud, hey, yeah, I really am interested in what you're doing, God. And then in my actions, I'm going to keep trying to do whatever I want. No, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to focus on a life that's filled with um, abundance. I'm going to read. I'm going to drink tea. I'm going to go to bed early. I'm going to have a positive attitude. I'm going to practice self-care and speak loving kindness over people. I'm going to paint a picture with watercolor. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, whatever is worthy of praise, I'm going to think about those things. And I'm going to keep on doing what I have learned and received and heard and seen. For the God of peace will then be with me. That sounds really simplistic. Some of you are thinking, this guy is crazy. It's too easy. It's too simplistic. It's not possibly going to be like that. And all I'm going to tell you is that it it is. <laughs> it is simplistic. And I think I felt silly. I feel silly sometimes because I make things so complicated. But they don't need to be this complicated, everybody. They simply don't need to be this complicated. We complicate a lot of things by trying to be God. We complicate a lot of things by trying to figure out at our own way, at our own pace, what God is up to. And we complicate a lot of things by trying to accomplish and manufacture the meaning and depth of our life on our own, when actually the meaning and depth of our life is something that we're called to receive from outside of ourselves and is something that the Father has been working on um, for a very long time. So I, I just submit that to you. Is are the scriptures this weekend telling us don't care about anything? And of course, as with all things in the Catholic world, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. And I'm hoping that you find that to be somewhat unsettling and also somewhat helpful. Because I'm finding that to be somewhat unsettling, but also somewhat helpful. Um, yeah, that's all I got. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Try not to be anxious, but don't look at it as if, as if, oh, if I just pray more, it'll be fine. And don't think about it in the kind of Pelagian or moralistic sense that, well, once I'm done being anxious, then God will listen to me. Don't think about it in that way, because that's not true. But ask for the grace from the Holy Spirit that he might shine his light in you like a little flashlight to be able to reveal the places in you where you're still holding on to your own vision of things, your own um, desires for things and really just ask 
in faith and in boldness for the grace to be able to see it God's way. Jesus, reveal to me the way of your Father. Jesus, take me with you to the Father that I might see things clearly and be set free. I might not be so captive to my own wills and ways and whims, but I might be able to have great confidence, actually, that your Father uh, knows what he's up to, that he loves me, that he's caring for me, and that he wants me to be free. Gosh, that would really change the way we live, I think. And if you're having difficulty with it, just know that little Father Rye guy over here is also having difficulty with it sometimes too. So we can have difficulty with it together. Hope you all have a wonderful week. And please pray for me. Know of my prayers for you. Please continue to pray also for the people of Israel uh, and Palestine because the violence unfolding there is, is really serious. Um, there's a great uh, statement that's been put out by the patriarchs and the heads of the churches in Jerusalem um, condemning the violence and calling for peace, of course. Um, and um, that's a land that is meant to be filled with peace, and it really has never been filled with peace, which speaks to the veracity of the whole thing going on there, but that's a different podcast. So pray for peace in Jerusalem, as the psalm would say, because that's meant to be Yerushalem, the city of peace. And right now, uh, that area, Jerusalem, the city itself, it's, it's safe for now. For now, um, But it, Israel is, is called to be God's land and uh, a land of peace. So we offer and we fast and we pray for that reality. It's also the month of Our Lady of the Rosary, so maybe consider offering your rosaries this month for peace in the Holy Land. Um, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.